0: Uh, this morning, as we as we look at God's word, I'm going to give a little disclaimer about the some of the subject matter today. If if you have small kids, uh, it might be better to let them go uh, go watch a Veggie Tales or or go do something quietly and constructive in another room because some of the subject matter is a little more mature today, and. Uh, in order for us to fully understand the person that we're talking about and the the way that God used, and, and this person is Rahab. And uh, if you've studied the Old Testament at all, you know exactly where we're going with that. So if you have small kids, it's not that we don't want them to hear God's word today. It's some parts of God's word... Uh, Solomon covers it really well in the Song of Songs, Don't Awaken Love Too Soon. And, and that, that's a, a timeless piece of advice to parents to protect the innocence of your children as much as you can. And that's what we're doing by giving you that disclaimer. Because I, I don't want to have to come to your house and answer all the questions that your child would have from just vocabulary that's used. We're, we're not going to be graphic or crude, but just some of the words and vocabulary, your children would ask questions, and, and I don't want you to have to face that on a snow day as well. So as we look at Joshua chapter 2, a, a quick reminder of where we've been. We've been studying throughout the Old Testament how God has, from the very beginning, chosen to partner with mankind to reveal himself to the world. And and that is a constant to this very day. God chooses to partner with you to reveal himself to a world who doesn't know him. And the, the beautiful thing about today's story is he chooses one of the most, in the eyes of other people, the most unlikely candidate. And... Not only does he take someone who no one else would choose for a partnership, but he engrafts her into the very lineage of his son, which is amazing. So without any more build up to it, Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shedom as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they came to the house of the prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. I I was hoping there was going to be some great um, revealing about Rahab by her name and what it means in Hebrew. What does it mean? <laughs> well, uh, I after reading it, I just kind of wonder about how she was built because her name means wide Rahab means wide and I don't know if that is some self-image issues that Rahab will deal with Aww. her whole life or or you know <clears throat> you know take that any way you want to it's just nothing super spiritual there at all um, and and there, there's there's other things in the Hebrew there that aren't superly spiritual either but the hebrew does verify that she in fact was a prostitute and this is where me as a history teacher prostitution was one of the oldest types of industry that a woman could be involved with without having to have a man vouch for her or pay her way uh in early assyrian societies and most often they were some of the most wealthy citizens of the the city they were in, which we'll, we'll find out later uh, when the Bible tells us where her house was. But uh, jumping back into the scripture here, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. Okay. If you don't understand ancient culture, sometimes it's really hard for us to figure out why these two men, and we we get a little judgmental if we're being real, why these two young men, as they'll be described later would go to the house of a prostitute in the city that they're spying on. And, thanks to the lens of history and even modern history, I can tell you that if you're a spy spying on a city other than, you know, outside of your home, you're going to spy in enemy territory. The number one place to go get information is at the house of the prostitute because young men in the army will visit there and they will give away company secrets. Uh, This is one of, several reasons we struggled in Vietnam, uh, because we were the visitors instead of the spies. But uh, this actually happened as early as the Revolutionary War in the United States that people who owned houses of ill repute were drafted into Washington spy ring to spy on the British. Pillow talk loses wars. Now, I was hoping my wife would at least chuckle at that, but Sorry. she's not going to. She is just staggered by the fact he is talking about this <laughs> online. I'm, I'm the, worried about the
1: noise.
0: More worried about the noise coming from the other room. So if, if I have to yell at the kids here in a minute, it is what it is. But the uh, the king, where does he go right away to find these men that have come to spy out the land? You know, He goes to the house of the prostitute. The, the reality is the prostitute was connected more to every part of society than any other member of the society because uh, the people would come to the house of the prostitute and they would always share information, news, and of course there was extensive cash flow that goes through that house. So she's one of the best connected people in a terrible business in, in our eyes, a terrible business. Not someone we think God would choose to partner with him. And I think a lot of times we we get stuck in that where we look at people and say, well God could never use them. Or we look at ourself and we look at our shortcomings and we say, God could never use me. Well, scriptures here to prove you wrong this morning. okay? Verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and she said, she said, true. The men came to me, but I do not know where they went from, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men came to me. uh, And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Okay. Not only is she a prostitute, but she's a very accomplished liar. She's looking the men of the king dead in the eye and lying to them. That will shatter your image of who God can use in a hurry. Because if you've paid attention throughout the Old Testament, God has used a liar before. The trickster named Jacob, he was a terrible liar. Terribly good at it. Deceived his brother, took the birthright, went, got tricked by Laban, his uncle, Then tricked him as well. Uh, Just up until the point where God altered his destiny. My wife is going to have to step away for just a moment. Because apparently, go do something quiet was too hard for our children today. So mom is going to go lay down the law. If we hear screaming, I'm here with you. You're my witnesses. But uh, the... God chooses people who are not who we would choose. Rahab, we're finding out, was a prostitute and a good liar. Moses was a murderer. Straight up, he was a murderer. And God still chose to partner with him because we, we find out later in the New Testament, and Paul writes in the New Testament, that God chooses the The simple things of this world to confound the wise. He chooses the nobodies, the the least of these, in order to make all the somebodies recognize that everybody's equal right before the eyes of God. Uh, I love, uh, and this may have been a quote that I, I stole from Eric Stewart himself, or he stole it from somebody and I stole it from him, but the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You... We're we're all exactly who we are without Jesus at the foot of the cross. We're sinners in need of saving. Now back to the story here. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them away with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way by Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now Jericho... I don't have all the statistics in front of me today. And even if I did, I'm on the wrong format to screen share and show you how wide the walls of Jericho were. They were huge. And, and the only way in and out of the city was through the gate. So when the king's men pursued these two spies, pursued because they didn't know that they really hadn't left, they went out the gate and then they closed the gate behind them. And you're not getting in the city without paying a terrible price to go through the gate. And I actually heard a, a teaching on this in a podcast how throughout history, the the city gates have, would evolve into being an even more complicated structure to get through. Uh, when you get further into the times of the crusades and late uh, middle ages you'll you'll find that these gates would have housing for soldiers on each side of the gate and above the gate they would have the ability to rain down arrows and and probably in the time of jericho they could they could fire arrows from the top of the city gates and they could throw rocks uh, I don't know if they had uh, the ability to pour pitch and oil and light it on fire yet, but that was a common method of keeping people out of the gates. And when you get into more of the Middle Ages and the Crusades, people would build mobile ramparts to go over the wall rather than lose a lot of troops at the gates. So the the significance of the gate being locked is um, it, it meant there was no way in, no way out. Or at least in the eyes of the king, there was no way in or no way out. Um, See if I can find where we were looking on the screen here. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Okay, Start putting the timeline together, how long the stories have been going in Jericho about the the children of Israel. Because they've heard about how God dried up the Red Sea. That's an event that's over 40 years prior to them knocking on the doors of Jericho. Over 40 years, because they cross the Red Sea and then wander a little bit in the desert and then spy out the promised land and rebel. So it's been 40 years, and the stories are still being told by their enemies. Well, what a testimony to the power of God. You know, 40 years from now, are people still going to be telling about what God did in your life? And I'll tell you how that happens. You have to be willing to tell your story, to give your testimony. Revelation talks about that, that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And your testimony is not what God did for you 20 years ago. It's what God did for you 20 years ago plus what he's doing in and through you right now. And everything in between. Your testimony is your story as it's being written. Too many times we rely on what happened 20 years ago. And I'm sorry, I don't I don't want to live in where I was 20 years ago. I'd love to have that body back, but I don't want to live stuck in 20 years ago. I don't want to live stuck in last week because... The the thing about God's word, if you pay attention to it, it is always calling us forward, calling us closer to Him. It, it's an active draw near to Me, and I will draw near to you. It, it's not stay where you are, and I'll come get you. And and that that's I think one of the problems with with our society today is it conditions us to to feeling like once you get comfortable in a spot, stay there. And, and Rahab was comfortable. Where she was, her life was probably pretty comfortable. And in the middle of it, she still saw what was about to happen because she continued on and she says that we heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Okay, we didn't spend a great deal of time talking about those, so I'll catch you up really quickly. Those two kingdoms were right there where two of the tribes are going to settle on the other side of Jordan, Ephraim and Manasseh. Those kingdoms were there, and... God was very clear to the children of Israel and Joshua and Moses Moses was still alive at the time tried to make peace with these two kings and they refused and God said wipe them off the face of the earth. That's the JJ edition. Uh, pretty much annihilate them so that nothing of their kingdom remains. None of the false idols, none of the ideologies. Wipe them out because I don't want... Because God knew that Ephraim and Manasseh were going to say, This land is fine. We want to settle here. God knew, but God also knew that Ephraim and Manasseh are sons of Jacob. Actually, sons of Joseph. But they're they're children of Israel, and they will quickly go after other gods. Because it's just in their nature to seek out what's comfortable, what feels good at the time, and what they feel like answers quickly. And we're not any different. But the Rahab knew. Rahab knew about those two kingdoms as well because she's connected. She knows. And, and she knows how the men in her own city talk as she's about to testify. That as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Understand, Rahab is Assyrian or Phoenician or, or whatever descendancy you want to talk about, but she is not Israeli. She's Canaanite 100%. And what is the statement she just made? that your God is the only God. He's a God in heaven and the God on earth. You want to talk about why God chose Rahab? Because Rahab understood who God was. Rahab, in the midst of her culture, in the midst of her people who were sinful people, and there is easy connections that could be made that... You know, she's a prostitute and prostitutes, the majority of them in Canaanite culture were part of the act of worship in sex cults. That they were heavily involved in worship of false deities, the Baals of Canaan. Okay? That's who she is and she's declaring that God is the one true God that Yahweh the God you speak of Hashem is probably how she referred to him the name is the one true God in heaven and in earth the amazing thing is God can take anyone who is willing to acknowledge who he is and who is willing to acknowledge who his son is And he can radically transform and rescue their life. And let's finish up her story really quickly. She says, now please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you and you will deal kindly with my father's house. She didn't beg for her own life. She begged for the life of her family, which is someone who God will use. They look out for other people more than themselves. Hmm. Sounds like something somebody said one time. Yeah, we've heard that before. Uh, And I'm talking about Jesus, not me. No. Okay, just checking. Uh, And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death if you do not tell this business of ours from <clears throat> if you do not tell this business of ours then when the lord gives us this land we'll deal kindly and faithfully with you and then she let them down by a rope through the window of her house for it was built into the city wall okay to have a house built into the city wall you had to be very very wealthy because wealthy merchants get to pick prime real estate okay the number one rule in starting a business is location 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 where she built right into the city walls chances are she's only a few hundred feet down from the city gates location 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 and and I, I wish I could screen share a lot of the, the images and stuff. And, and there's actually some really good uh, documentaries out there where people have done excavations of ancient Jericho and, and they found where these walls, when they fell, uh, most of the time if you attack from the outside and hit a wall, the wall's going to fall into the city. But the walls of Jericho fall out and make an actual ramp to where the enemy could just walk right up into the city and take the city, which we we know exactly why that happened. Uh, That was God's plan all along. But she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go to the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. What, what a beautiful little glimpse into, you know, I, I love how God just hides these things sometimes in his word. Three days means a lot to us as Christians. Three days where Christ wasn't visible. He was put in the grave. He was gone for three days. These spies, go hide yourself for three days and then go do your work. Which, that's a freebie. It has nothing to do with Rahab, really. But, then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with this respect to the oath of yours. You have made us swear if anyone goes out of your house when we come. And I'm paraphrasing for the sake of getting through this because we're getting kind of long here. But, uh, Ah, uh, let's see, where's the part I want? Okay. All right, they, they tell her to leave a cord, a scarlet cord in the window. And this is something I hadn't picked up on until I read it this time. And, and they argue, or they are not argue, but they tell her that, you know, if anyone leaves your house when we come, before we come to get you, anyone leaves the house before we come get you their blood's on their hands and we'll be guiltless of it and and she said according to your words so be it then she sent them away and they departed and she tied a scarlet cord in the window she didn't wait she didn't hesitate she didn't care if if other people in the town saw this cord and came to ask her questions about it she immediately was obedient to the instructions. Why did God choose Rahab? Because she cared more about other people than herself and she was not slow to obedience. What kind of person is God gonna choose to partner with him today? Someone who's willing to care about other people more than themselves. And when God asks them to do things, they don't question, they just do it. They're obedient. And and that's not fun for us to hear because we love to ask why. God, why do you want me to talk to that person? God, I can't talk to that person. God, why do you want me to do that ministry? God, why do you want me to... We always want to ask the why instead of, you know why? Why am I hanging this cord out my window? It's pretty obvious to Rahab, but why are why are you going to go do that? Why? Why am I going to share my testimony with that person at work? Because God told you to. I, and I, I know that in Christianity we we get away from it sometimes because we we lean way over to to the grace of god and the mercy of god that we shy away from the fact there will be judgment you'll be held accountable for everything you do and everything you don't do that god asks you to jesus taught this in the parable of of the the talents when he when the, the rich owner of the estate went away, he left each person with a measure of talent, which was gold, and he told them to, to do what they could with it. And the one just went and hid it, did the least amount possible. The other two didn't have a lot of instruction either, but they went and they took what they had and they gave it. they, they gave their best effort, and there came a return. But all three of them had to stand before the master and give an account for what they had done. The same thing is going to happen for us. Someday we'll have to give an account. As parents, we'll have to give an account for how we raised our children. As husband and wife, we'll have to give an account for how we loved each other and how we showed the world how Jesus loves the church and how the church loves Jesus. Sometimes we forget that part of the dynamic. And and ultimately, as an individual, you're going to be responsible for what you did with what you know about the Lord. Rahab knew from the testimony of many other people that God was the only true God. And as soon as the opportunity presented itself, she said, I want to be on God's side. Whatever that takes. And... if it means you can save my family, but you can't save me, just save all of the people of my father's house. And, and we can fast forward to when the walls fall down. One of the very, really cool things about the story is immediately, before anyone starts rushing in to take over the city, Joshua sends the two young men to Rahab's house. Said, go and deliver them out which is such a beautiful illustration of, of God allowing Joshua to honor his word, but also the the beautiful reality that we have that when Jesus comes a second time and he comes in that seat of judgment, that he's going to separate out the people who are going to his house and the people who aren't. A lot of people don't like that because it sounds judgmental, but that's Bible. That's the scripture. If you read what Jesus said, he he didn't say, I came to unite everybody. He said, I came to divide. I came to separate them out because not everyone is going to make the right choice. But it's not our job to keep them from it. Our job is to share the gospel with everyone. To love everyone like Jesus did. Nothing about Jesus' ministry said he didn't love them. But he called sin, sin. He sat and ate with sinners, but he didn't sin with them. He called them to repentance. Which, the beauty of Rahab's life is that the one of the last bits of testimony we get about her from Joshua is that she lived among the people of Israel even to this day. Which when whenever Joshua was writing his account, Rahab's still living there. Which, what a cool story. And we don't hear about Rahab again until the genealogy, I believe it's in Matthew. And then we hear about her one more time in Scripture, in the Hall of Faith. Where the author of Hebrews is talking about and let me look. I don't want to misquote it this morning, so. All right, let me get down here. All right. Abraham, Isaac, Moses. All right. Verse 31 of Hebrews 11, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had become a friendly welcome to the spies. Which, uh, it's special to us in the Friends Church any time Scripture uses the phrase friend or friendly. How many times are, are we friendly to God's people? How many times are we friendly to the least of these? How many times are we friendly to those who are, if Rahab was just part of her society and not recognizing God, she was going to have to make the choice of being friendly to everyone else in society calls them an enemy. How many times are we friendly to the people who need a friend the most. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are you friendly with sinners? Are you displaying through the windows of your life that scarlet cord that is the blood of Jesus covering and operating through your life? What you got? Oh, I just like listening to you. It's not fair when she doesn't have anything to say. Very rarely do I render her speechless. Mm. Or maybe all the time I walk in, I just take her breath away. (laughs) No, that's our preteen. Take your breath away in a bad way. Um, So this morning, wrapping this up, because we've been going a little while here. Um uh, this week, the challenge to you is looking for opportunities to partner with God to be a friend with sinners. And, and that feels really judgmental when you say it. I, I get that. Even saying it here, it feels judgmental. but let, let's be real because we live in a world full of people who are hurting and need a friend. I'm not saying you have to go pick someone out based on their sin. I'm saying pay attention to people and pick someone out by their need for someone to come alongside them and to show them that it's gonna be okay. That it may not be okay today, it may not be okay tomorrow, but there is coming a day, if they know Jesus, that it's going to be okay. And I had that conversation with my son earlier this week that that there's a reason I don't have to do certain things in life. Because I don't have to be afraid of when this life is over. And that doesn't mean I want it to end quickly. But... I don't have to be afraid when it's over. And I, I love this lady here. And I love those kids that are being remarkably quiet back there, almost to the point I'm a little nervous. They're watching VeggieTales. Oh, they're watching VeggieTales. They thought about their choice. So I not okay. give I stopped them. <laughs> but. Took their choice away. When when this life is over, I, I'm not going to be standing before Jesus longing for this life I'm not going to be wishing I had one more day to work and pay the mortgage I'm not going to be wishing that I could do anything else on this earth one more day when this life is over and I'm standing before Jesus I'll be happier than I've ever been because I made it I, I made it to the promised land I don't have to, to fight those battles anymore because the as we look into Joshua and we keep going with Joshua, you're going to see that they're going to fight battle after battle after battle after battle and you're never called to stop battling for the goodness of God in your life. Caleb, at age 85 is going to tell Joshua I want that mountain because there's giants there I don't want just a little fight I want to go fight giants so you can retire from a job and praise God if you get there and get to do that I got five kids and if they all want to go to college I'll be working till I'm 120 if God lets me stay that long but You cannot retire from being God's messenger, being God's friend to the sinners of this world, being God's friend and brother and sister to the church. And that's how you'll end up in the hall of faith. Because the, the beautiful thing is, is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, but... I can't help but think he's also up there telling of your great things that you're doing. That he that he's he's looking at you with the Father and saying, Man, look look at what look at what he's getting done for the kingdom. Look at how faithful she is. Look at how they love people like we do. And God's gonna keep moving through the power of his Holy Spirit drawing all men to him until that day when that eastern sky parts and the trumpet sounds and we get to see Jesus, not the petting lambs Jesus, but the, the Jesus who comes riding on a horse as a general ready for war. I'm so pumped. I can't wait. It's going to wreck a lot of people's theology that day. He's got a tattoo on his leg. I mean, read Revelation. It'll wreck your theology. But he's going to come back. And and that day, I can't wait. It's going to be exactly what Rahab felt when she saw the walls fall down around her house. And then there was the knock at the door. And those two men were there probably smiling ear to ear because the hardest part of conquering Jericho was the wall. And the hardest part of their job's over and they get to to be the ones to bring good news to the house of Rahab. And they lead her out and and let her join in. I mean, can you think of anything better than watching somebody's walls fall down? as Jesus knocks on the door of their heart and they let him in. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful picture from a real event in the Old Testament showing God's rescue and redemption. That's all I got today. All right, well, let's pray then. Jesus, thank you again for your word and thank you for...